Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This year's Winter Olympics in Beijing have been called the most complex games ever by the Wall Street Journal and the Feel Guilty Games by the LA Times. The event is opening amid intense COVID-19 restrictions and concerns over China's human rights violations, which prompted President Biden to boycott the game, though U.S. athletes are still competing. So, On this, the eve of opening ceremonies, we've invited Victor Cha, vice dean and professor of government at Georgetown and former director for Asian affairs at the National Security Council, to talk about how China and the U.S. are navigating this year's games. Professor Cha, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. First, can you remind us about this U.S. diplomatic boycott, as it's called, of the games? What does that mean and what kind of impact do you think it's having Um, So what it means is essentially that the United States will not send (coughs) high-level government officials um, uh, to lead the U.S. delegation, usually to the opening ceremonies and maybe a day of the events. Um, For example, Jill Biden went to the Tokyo Olympics um, and uh, was there at the opening ceremonies and had dinner with the prime minister and uh, went to some events and met with uh, some of the athletes. Um, and so the Biden administration has said they're not going to do that for Beijing. As Jen Psaki, the White House spokesperson, said they're not going to contribute to the fanfare of the games. About a dozen other countries have done the same, um, some of them explicitly for human rights violations, which is the U.S. Um, justification. Others have been less uh, open about it and left it to left sort of plausible deniability. They could say it's because of COVID. They could say it's for other reasons. Mm. <clears throat> and what sort of impact it has? Well, I mean, it, I mean, it's an issue in the sense that we're all talking about it. Um, it's not a boycott by the athletes, which is a good thing. Um, I think that was a good move by the administration. But it also, I think, is a reflection of the state of U.S.-China relations, the sort of competitive um, swirl that has um, dominated the narrative now of U.S.-China relations overall. Um, and for the for the Chinese, it, you know, it, it blemishes their games a bit, which I'm sure they don't like, but it also says that there's, there's going to be a price to pay um, if countries with major human rights violations are hosting something like the Olympics. Hmm. Um, you say it's a good thing that the athletes are not barred from participating. Some have called a diplomatic boycott kind of a half measure, but why do you think it's a good thing? I think it's a good thing because um, this is this is about the politics of the Olympics. It's not about the competition in the Olympics. And for the uh, for the United States, for the Biden administration to have said our athletes are not going to because of 
um, human rights violations in Xinjiang, for example, would essentially have been sanctioning our own athletes for Chinese human rights violations mm. in Xinjiang. I think everybody learned a lesson from 1980 when the Carter administration did a full boycott of the 1980 Moscow Olympics, Summer Olympics, um, really just you know ruining the dreams of many athletes who have absolutely nothing to do with the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan the prior year, which was, of course, why the Carter administration boycotted. So I think the U.S. government, I think the general public learned a lesson from that. And, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't blame we shouldn't sanction our own athletes for um, uh, for something that the, the Chinese government is doing to its own people. Right. You mentioned Xinjiang. Talk about the human rights violations that are really top of mind. You know, when when you say Xinjiang, I'm sure you're talking about the Uyghur Muslims and, and the charges that China is incarcerating and, and torture, torturing them. Incarcerating them, torturing them, forcibly detaining them. <clears throat> um, uh, it's, it's some have called it a form of um, a form of genocide because um, uh, there's forced abortions. There's all sorts of things that that we suspect are, are taking place and China's never answered to the public about anything that they that, that they do there. But it's also, it's not that, it's it's also the suppression of democracy in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the threats to Taiwan. Um, it's just this generally more assertive policy that the Chinese government has taken, but particularly those that trample on human rights and that threaten democracy. We're talking with Victor Cha, author of Beyond the Final Score, The Politics of Sport, a Georgetown University professor about the Winter Olympic Games that are set to open in Beijing tomorrow. And if you want to join the conversation, if you have questions about the politics surrounding the Winter Olympics this year, or curious listeners if the issues in China are affecting your plans to watch or follow the Games, you can tell us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can tell us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, and you can email us forum at kqbd.org. With the international community, uh, people participating in diplomatic boycotts and so on, um, it's been reported that that really actually means that it's mainly the athletes who have a major platform to make any statements. But it sounds like the Chinese government is putting tremendous pressure on athletes not to. Can you tell us what the rhetoric has been around that from China? Um, uh, yes, I mean, first, it's it's um, in the Olympic Charter that athletes are not supposed to make political statements uh, during the games in the spirit of uh, of the Olympics, which is about to put aside, which is about putting aside political differences for these two weeks of uh, of sporting events. Um, but of course, that's not going to be enough for the Chinese. So uh, there are lots of concerns among the athletes about surveillance. Athletes have been told not to bring their own phones, their own laptops, to use burner phones. Um, it is a it is a it is a state a surveillance state. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if that is indeed the case. Um, mm-hmm. In addition, the Chinese have the leeway to exercise more control because of their exercising of a zero COVID policy to try to contain uh, any outbreaks. So they're uh, so they're able they were able to do that based on that justification. I mean, I think one of the unintended consequences of the boycott, of the diplomatic boycott, is that it has, as, as your question suggests, it has placed more pressure on the athletes um, to make political statements because there aren't going to be U.S. officials there who are going to be making, who are going to be making those statements. And, 
And so I think that's really an unintended consequence. And I think it's unfair to put that burden on the athletes. Um, uh, I was uh, doing a program with another former Olympian um, who made the very important point that at this point for the athletes, they're focused on every minute detail with regard to their body and their minds and trying to prepare to give the best performance of their life. And the last thing they need are, you know, NGOs flooding their Twitter feed or their emails with, you know, saying that you need to say something about Xinjiang or something. So I kind of feel for the athletes in, in, in that respect. So they're feeling pressure from both sides, I think, from, you know, uh, NGO groups that want them to do something, as well as the Chinese government and the IOC, for that matter, that are uh, trying to uh, to muzzle any sort of statements they might make. Right. How has COVID, well, ironically, I guess, in some ways, helped China when it comes to not drawing unwanted attention for human rights abuses and exercising much greater control over the athletes? Oh, it's definitely helped them in that sense. You know, they... I mean, obviously, there are legitimate reasons for them wanting to try to have this be a COVID, COVID-free Olympics, but uh, it has given them much more control uh, over movement of people, um, over all sorts of restrictions that I'm sure they would have loved to have done in 2008 in the Summer Olympics, um, where they had people coming from all over the world into into Beijing for the Games. That will not be the case this time. There's going to be no tickets sold, there are you know, no foreign spectators, there are only a limited number of uh, um, screened uh, audiences that will be able to participate, which again will control the potential for any sort of uh, political statements. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think they have a lot more control over this and they have, they have COVID, they have COVID to thank for that. We're talking about the Winter Olympic Games that are set to open in Beijing tomorrow in a COVID bubble, but also under a human rights cloud. We're talking with Georgetown University professor Victor Cha, author of Beyond the Final Score, The Politics of Sport. While that has allowed, while COVID has allowed them to exercise that degree of, of control and maybe minimize disruption, um, it still sounds like it's a very challenging environment just on a public health management level. Some have raised the fact that in China, the population there um, has little natural immunity. Uh, their own developed vaccine hasn't been terribly effective. Can you talk about what's at stake there? Um, so I think that's right. You know, I think they're they're quite concerned about having this be a COVID-free Olympics. I think they are <clears throat> the you know the uh, Omicron variant, which has been you know raging here in the United States, is is starting to show up in Asia a lot more now. We see it in Korea and Japan and. Um, in, in China as well, um, you know, the Chinese are not as restricted as uh, other democracies in terms of what they can do when they, you know, when they, when they um, have, have uh, an outbreak somewhere. <clears throat> and their so-called zero COVID policy is, uh, boasts that, you know, there, th that there is uh, zero transmission. There may be positivity, but there's zero transmission. But that basically has gone out the window since October because they they have had a lot of transmission. Um, so there's a lot at stake. I think you know the, these these Olympics. You know the 2008 Beijing Olympics were both for an internal and an external audience. They were an external audience in the sense of showing the world what China has accomplished um, uh, over. Uh, in terms of modernization and development since 1979, since Deng Xiaoping. 
um, but they were also uh, meant to demonstrate internally legitimacy of the Communist Party and the state. Um, and I think the, this particular Olympics is really about Xi Jinping, um, mm-hmm. the, the leader of North Korea. And so there's a lot at stake. I mean, if there's a if something happens with COVID uh, and the Olympics end up going really badly because of that, um, that's you know potentially a real threat or certainly a real mark on Xi Jinping's effort to continue to be the ruler of China um, uh, for the foreseeable future. So you know there is there I think there is a lot of, there is a lot at stake for China in these games. Yes, you can the leader of China. And Kai tweets, what do you imagine will be the consequences if any athlete speaks out on China's abuses? It's a good question, actually, Victor Chalk, because I really don't think that China, for as, as strong as our rhetoric has been, would want, like, you know, arrests of these beloved athletes from other countries. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I certainly think they, that that would be a public relations nightmare for China if that were the case. Um, uh you know, it's unclear. They could force the athlete to leave, like they could send the athlete home. Um, uh, you know, the IOC would probably take some sort of action because they don't want, they're very much in the same um, space as China in terms of trying to prevent any sort of political controversies happening mm. um, in Beijing. You know, I think they worry, the IOC worries less about this when the Olympics are held in places like Tokyo or the United States or other places. Um, but when they're held like in Sochi, Russia or in Beijing, China, you know, they 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 worry about these sorts of things. It's very different. I mean, the way that um, the IOC has dealt with the question of political protest at the Olympics versus the way uh, the Women's Tennis Association, for example, the WTA has dealt with uh, the case of the missing tennis, the missing former Olympian and missing tennis player, Peng Shui. Um, uh, in the sense that the WTA has been very vocal uh, and willing to sacrifice hundreds of millions of dollars um, to find out what happened to this professional tennis player, while uh, the IOC has basically tried to sweep it sweep it under the rug because yes. they don't want it to interrupt their Olympics. We're talking Winter Olympics with Victor Cha, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Yes, I've been thinking about what the IOC's handling of Peng Shui and the allegations that she made of sexual assault against a senior Communist Party official and then was basically disappeared in a lot of people's eyes. She's made some appearances still since then, but it still is feels very staged. And I, I wonder if that does suggest anything about how the IOC would handle Olympic athletes saying anything about China during this time. Um, but one of the things that I, I do wonder is whether or not you see, you know, as much as China wants to to make sure that the Olympic Games go according to plan, that that you have any reason to believe things might not settle into business as usual this time around, that there are things that could really undermine their best laid plans for basically, you know, the incredible performances of athletes to drown out the concerns around Peng Shui or around uh, their human rights abuses. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know these uh, stuff happens at Olympics. You just don't <laughs> know what's going <laughs> to. But you just don't know what's going to happen, and it's it's entirely possible that an athlete could speak out. As we said, you know, this missing tennis player was a three-time former Olympian gold medalist, in fact, um, uh, doubles champion. 
And so she is one of them uh, and she's gone missing. Um, and that might mo motivate some athletes uh, to speak out. Um, in addition to that, as we talked about, that, you know, we, they may have a plan for how to handle COVID, but uh, when that plan meets rea reality, how are the Chinese going to deal with it if there are outbreaks? How are they going to deal with it? That could also be a public relations nightmare. And then, you know, the Olympics doesn't happen in a vacuum, in a political vacuum. It's happening while other events are taking place around the world. And of course, everybody right now is focused on the possibility that Russia will invade Ukraine. Um, and that could also have an impact on the, on the Beijing Olympics um, in, in unexpected and unanticipated ways. Um, that could help Xi Jinping, uh, but that could also uh, hurt him in the sense that it could help him in the sense that everybody will focus on uh, Putin and what he's doing in Ukraine. Um, and we'll lose sight of the human rights violations that people talked about in the run-up to the to the Beijing Olympics. Um, in which case, I think Xi Jinping would be very happy. Um, uh, on the other hand, it could take all the attention away from the Olympics. The Olympics becomes an afterthought, um, which, of course, that's the last thing Xi Jinping wants. I mean, mm. uh, he's hosting the world right now, and he wants it to be a show that everybody everybody will tune into. Are you a fan of the Olympics, Professor Cha? Is this something that that you really enjoy? You've looked so much at the politics of sport. I wonder what what role it plays for you. Oh, I yes, I do. I'm a, I'm a huge sports aficionado. I I I, um, I love the Olympics. I, I this as as you probably know, this is an area of research and work that I I started going into after I left the U.S. government when. I didn't want to write anything else on North Korea because I just spent four <laughs> years nego negotiating nuclear weapons with them, and this was something I always wanted to write about because it's just it's to me it's very it's fascinating. And I think the Olympics, and I think <clears throat> you know, putting aside the the politics, like we talk about the politics of the Olympics up until the day of the opening ceremony, and then once the games begin, even though we want to talk about the politics and the human rights violations. Um, the, the pull of the sport and the individual performance is just, it's all consuming. It's overwhelming. And we get drawn into the story, you know, the athlete's performance and then their backstories, how they managed to accomplish what they did. And, 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 you know, rightly so. I mean, these, this is the single most important stage for individual uh, athletic performance in the world. And, um, and we, we should be praising and appreciating these athletes for, for what they do. Well, let me appreciate you for, for walking us through the politics of this and uh, also reminding us about the beauty of the games as well. Great to have you on, uh, Dr. Cha. Thank you so much. Georgetown University professor, Dr. Victor Cha, author of Beyond the Final Score, The Politics of Sport. Susie Britton and Dan Zoll produced today's segments. Thank you, listeners, for your, for your ears, for your listening, for your comments. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.